1: This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Review Radio is Bill O'Keefe, Executive Vice President of Mission, Mobilization, and Advocacy for Catholic Relief Services, the U.S. Bishop's Overseas Aid Organization, which is based in Baltimore, although Bill does a lot of his work in Washington, D.C. Bill O'Keefe oversees efforts to ensure that U.S. foreign policy reduces poverty and promotes justice in developing countries where Catholic Relief Services works. He and his staff lobby Congress and the administration on a range of issues, including migration, refugees, food security, and all aspects of U.S. foreign aid. Bill also works to involve American Catholics in public campaigns for policy change. Bill joined CRS in 1987 as a project manager in Tanzania, uh, where he chaired the subregional task force on HIV and AIDS. He held several positions supporting CRS's work in Africa before beginning his work in advocacy in 2001. Bill has developed CRS's positions in the areas of U.S. foreign aid and agricultural trade and ran a two-year campaign to involve Americans in improving U.S. policy toward Africa. He's also a member of our own Cathedral of Mary, Our Queen Parish. Welcome to the show, Bill.
2: Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for that really kind introduction.
1: Well, later in the show, I want to talk with you specifically about CRS's response to the coronavirus pandemic. But in this first segment, let's talk about migration in general, and especially in Central America, which has a significant impact on the southern U.S. border. The CRS website notes that people leave the area for three main reasons, violence, poverty, and drought. Why are those factors so substantial?
3: There's
2: lots of reasons. And of course, those three reasons are interrelated because the, the drought, which is uh, Central America is, is, I'll start with that one, Central America is in the middle of a multi-year drought. It's one of the, actually one of the most climate change impacted parts of the world. And one of the results of that, uh, besides rising average temperatures, is, um, uh, is variability in the rain. And so there's been a long drought there. And as a result, these folks are mainly farmers and, uh, agricultural production has become much more of a sketchy proposition. And so farmers are unable to support their families and when they, and therefore are kind of forced to make that move to, and usually what's interesting is usually a family will make a move from one, from like a, their farm to a, an urban center nearby and then end up in the capital city. And then from there, we'll find themselves migrating north, so it's kind of a series of progressions. Violence is something that uh, impacts people in rural areas, but for those who have moved into a city and then find themselves in a neighborhood where gangs are in control, um, uh, they feel they have to make the choice to, to, to move because they're just terrified. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, poverty is 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 a driver. All of us um, want something better for our children, want to provide for our families. And so um, people who feel they can't do that where they are and are left with no opportunities are in their desperation, take on this very difficult journey north. So those are, you know, how those kind of three factors uh, play out for for Central Americans.
1: When you talk about climate change, is that... Things like hurricanes, typhoons, whatever they are, that that you end up with extremes—either way too much rain or not enough rain, or you know, way too much wind or not enough wind. You know, it, it, are those kinds of things being affected by that, which then affects the agriculture?
2: Yeah. So, so two things. One is yes, uh, that hurricanes, typhoons, uh, and then drought—so those extremes—definitely um, impact agriculture. Obviously. Uh, They also make people living in kind of these marginal urban areas that are sort of like slums built on bad land that then have like sort of landslides and and just becomes more difficult to live. But the second thing is the higher temperatures just changes what grows there. And um, so, for example, CRS uh, for years has supported coffee farmers. And over a, a, a number of years has had to help farmers to literally move up the mountain because what used to grow at a certain elevation, it becomes too hot. And so they have to you know, move up a thousand feet where it's cooler in order to grow the same kinds of coffee. So, you know, it's it, it also just changes what works where and the traditional practices that have worked for generations in many cases are no longer working.
1: Mm -hmm. I know that CRS does a lot of work with fair trade growers uh, for chocolate, coffee, those kinds of things. CRS does a lot of direct aid programs, a lot of the things also working to end the systemic poverty. I know, for example, also that CRS provides cash for for work opportunities. What's the difference between those kinds of efforts, the kinds of things where you're doing direct aid, but then also working at the systemic level?
2: Great question. The direct aid is really, first of all, from CRS's perspective, almost never exactly direct in the sense that we're always working through and supporting local organizations, local church partners, so that they are actually the ones who are going out and, for example, helping families to rebuild after a a hurricane or helping farmers to, to, to adopt new and improved agricultural techniques so that they can adapt to climate change, things like that. The systemic issues are more the sort of work that I'm involved in, looking at what are the root causes and how can we help address them at a larger level? So, for example, we are working to get the new U.S. administration and the Congress to address these agricultural um, barriers that farmers face and to provide more assistance to help them to adapt so that they don't feel like they have to move. We're also, of course, like like many other groups, encouraging our government to really address these issues of corruption and violence that force people to make these very difficult uh, decisions to move so you know that, that I think gives a sense of, of like how we're um, trying to both help people where they are and then also look at well, what's behind that and how do we address those deeper conditions.
1: Mm-hmm. I, knew, I remember one of the times that I visited Haiti and spent a lot of time with some folks from CRS there. And they talked about the fact that especially after an earthquake or a hurricane or whatever, people were like, well, let's donate a bunch of rice or let's donate a bunch of clothing or things like that. And it's like, one, we have no place to put it. But two, it's better for us here to give CRS the money so that they can give that out and help buy rice buy clothing, buy things in the country so that they're putting people to work and they don't have the transportation costs and all of those things. So it's interesting to figure out kind of how all of that stuff works together with, with what you're doing.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a super interesting point. And I think Haiti is a really good example where it's always tempting for us. We see pictures on the news. It looks like a helpless situation. Mm-hmm. And even when it's bad, people are rarely helpless totally and they need they need help but but what we found from our, our Catholic perspective of human dignity is if we provide a family with and I, I saw this program in right before the pandemic <laughs> closed all our travel in uh, in Gaza actually where we were providing vouchers to families so that they could go And these are farmers who are impacted by, you know, incredible poverty so that they could go into a kind of an approved store or vendor with a system to ensure that they could buy at a fair price, locally produced goods. It actually increases their dignity to be able to buy what they need for their family rather than me, you know, Bill O'Keefe from 10,000 miles away saying, this is what you need whether they are able to decide what they need. And then also it's much cheaper because we don't have to ship it. And it stimulates that local market. It supports the vendors and supports society so they can, you know, keep trying to hire people, keep people employed. And, And so in the end, it works out to be a much more effective and more efficient way of helping people and more dignified, which is, you know, as Catholics, what's ultimately more
1: important. Mm-hmm. You alluded to the fact that we're thousands of miles away from a lot of these people. Why is it important for people in the United States to care what's going on in other parts of the world? I mean, apart from the fact that as Catholics we believe that all people are made in the image and likeness of God, and we ought to be caring for each other. But how does foreign aid from the U.S. help stem migration and help these other ills you're talking about—poverty, violence, those kinds of things?
2: Great question. So, I think. Right now, as we're speaking, we have a situation at the border of the United States where people from Haiti have fled and are, are you know, trying to get into our country and our country's grappling with that. And it's an example of just the human reality that people who can't provide for their families where they are, you know, need to find a place where they can. And so... Central America is facing the, those three issues that you talked about. We don't address those issues; those folks are coming. And again, it's not that as Catholics, it's not that we we shouldn't be afraid of that. It's just that the cost to to of that journey, the number of people who die on the way, the cost of disruption, and and all that. It's just. It is better for everybody if, and, and people usually want to stay where they are, you know, where their roots are. And so, right. CRS, we actually did a study, which I really loved in Central America recently, about rootedness like what actually helps people to stay, and uh, as opposed to what drives them to leave. And what helps them to stay are, is, for, is, is like solid foreign aid, the kinds of things that allow people to educate their kids, get a decent job feel like they have some control over their lives, if people have that, then they're not, they are not not—they—they don't feel the desperation to make these kinds of very dangerous journeys.
1: Right. And the folks from Haiti who are coming up through Central America, most of them left Haiti 10 years ago after the earthquake to try to find something a little bit better in Central America, and they still haven't. And so now they're trying to make their way to the US. And it's just, we're all connected to each other. And that's part of the thing is that, it. and none of these are... Instant problems they have been going on for years and years and years.
2: Migration is—is a—is a human re- reality. I mean that the story of uh, of humanity is one of migration and and migrating to try to find a better life. The, the, the old testament is is one big migration story. yes, <laughs> I mean, yes. You Think of it that way. Of of a uh, you know focused on a certain group of people. It's it's so I I think migration is a reality. And but how can we help people? to live a dignified existence and make their, contrib- their God-given contribution without as much suffering as seems to be in the world right now, with all this kind of irregular migration, people forced to fleeing from conflict, let's at least solve that. People are going to move, but let's at least solve this desperate uh, suffering that happens when we let things spin out of control.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. That's a good place for us to take a break. We're going to talk a little bit after the break about the coronavirus pandemic and how that has affected the work that Catholic Relief Services does. We have been talking with Bill O'Keefe from Catholic Relief Services, and this is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio.
3: Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. When St. Joseph and the Blessed Virgin Mary traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem to register for the census, they walked or rode a donkey on a 75-mile journey over the course of about five days. Pilgrims set to walk October 2nd from the Cathedral of Mary our Queen in Homeland to the Baltimore Basilica downtown on the first day of the nine-day Rosary Congress will have it much easier. Their 4.7 mile walk should take less than two hours, bringing them to America's first cathedral in time for the 5th Annual Rosary Congress's 10 a.m. opening Mass. The Rosary Congress commemorates the anniversary of the Blessed Virgin Mary's appearance to three shepherd children in Fatima, Portugal. The Baltimore Basilica and St. Mark in Falston will offer Masses and other events for the Rosary Congress. To learn more, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matisek.
0: This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio.
1: We're back on Catholic Review Radio talking with Bill O'Keefe, Executive Vice President of Mission, Mobilization, and Advocacy for Catholic Relief Services, the U.S. Bishop's Overseas Aid Organization. Bill, I'd like to focus on the coronavirus pandemic and why that matters to CRS. The White House has plans to increase the number of vaccine doses that they are going to be donated to foreign countries. Some people think we should not give this stuff away. Some people say we should make sure all U.S. citizens get vaccinated and get a booster before we start helping other countries. But what are the moral and policy reasons for making sure that other countries have the doses they need?
2: Yeah, it's such an interesting debate that's roiling about this these these issues right now. But the moral reasons are, one, the church is clear, of course, from the perspective of health. Everybody deserves life-saving health care. Uh, health care is a basic human need and a basic human right. And so as Catholics, all of us are created in the image and likeness in God and and, and deserve the same, uh, the same access to, to such basic life-saving care. From a practical perspective, uh, and I think the, the Delta variant surge we're seeing right now is just an example of it, we can do everything we can here, and it just won't matter if we don't address the pandemic elsewhere. Because while we're all vaccinated here, getting vaccinated and things are in many ways better, for many people, not all, many. It's mutating out there where, you know, the rest of the world in Africa, 2% of the population is vaccinated and the vaccine is hard at work, mutating, changing, adapting.
1: The virus is adapting.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. The the virus is. And, and, you know, so, so we're at risk of just being in the same, we get through the Delta variant and then there's there's another one because right. there's there's all this. So from a practical perspective, if we want this to end, we can't just focus on ourselves. We've got to focus on the rest of the world.
1: Mm-hmm. What are some of the roadblocks to vaccination in other countries? You're talking about 2% in Africa. We're you know, talking a lot of our regions here have 70, 80% vaccination rate. I mean, we know what some of those issues are here, but what is it in, in other countries? So. Issue number
2: one is just supply. You know, we're really happy about the Biden administration's commitment to provide another 500 million donations. That's great. But they still haven't delivered all of their last commitment of 500 million doses. And actually, major countries have only only actually supplied 15% of what they've committed to supply. So supply is a problem. Second thing is that, you know, many countries have the same... Kind of misinformation, misunderstanding, mistrust of medical authorities that we have here. So some of these same issues that we face here are faced elsewhere as well. And then finally, uh, this is a huge logistical undertaking. Sure. For countries that don't have the kind of, of of health system that we have, don't have a pharmacy at every corner, you know. Sure. There's just and 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 are only used to giving immunizations to children, immunizing all the adults in the country. I mean, that takes training, planning, resources, and time. (laughs) And time, yes, yes, and time. And so so it's it's just a huge undertaking that doesn't happen automatically. And that's one of the things we've been screaming about at CRS actually, is that we want our government and other governments, commitments of money are great, but it's really like pulling together the UN, these governments involving the Catholic health infrastructure in in countries around the world and saying, okay, we got to sit down and come up with a plan.
1: I know CRS is working on just about every continent to fight the pandemic. Part of that includes education, hygiene kits, masks, food, more. What all do these efforts entail? And is education the most important part or or is there something else that's really primary?
2: So I think education is really critical in terms of even in places, you know, most places where there isn't vaccine, what steps people can take to keep themselves safe, them and their families, mm-hmm. um, and so we provide in, uh, personal protective equipment in healthcare settings to teachers and other vulnerable, vulnerable communities. So education is really critical. The second thing is that in many places the pandemic uh, is serious. But the what 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 people call the secondary effects, the economic downturn because of the break in supply chain, because of breakdown in global trade between because of the economic crises, is almost worth. A lot of people have faced you know people who like sell goods in the informal sector. They don't really have an employer. They 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 buy things in the morning and sell them in the afternoon. Just having out of market, and and so there's a lot more poverty and hunger. Um, I think the UN has estimated another maybe 150 million poor people in the world as a result of this, and that's that's an, not the most recent estimate. So it's it's brought a lot of secondary impacts that we are indeed addressing, providing, to, looking how to bolster employment, food, uh, and other basic supplies.
1: And we know that when people are poor, they tend to be have less good, healthy habits and attitudes, and people with who aren't in as good health tend to be more susceptible to the virus. So, I mean, it just, it kind of all flows together there that it, it makes sense that those people who are in poverty are also having a harder time with this.
2: Yeah, and, and how it plays out in different countries is, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm not the epidemiologist, but in some, you know, you have countries that have a very a much younger population. That, in some sense, earlier in the pandemic, were uh, better able you know, suffered fewer deaths because they were younger. Mm-hmm. An interesting thing is, there are countries like Liberia, Sierra Leone, that went through the Ebola crisis, and they actually have a stronger public health system than we do. Which is to say, they're used people are used to changing their behavior to respond to a dangerous disease. That's something that was kind of like Mm -hmm. people here, we we don't do that great with that kind of thing. We don't, we don't have good systems, but if you live through Ebola and Sierra Leone, hand-washing and wearing a mask and being super careful, you know, you know, you know that you've got to do that. And so, so it's, it's been interesting, some of our countries and, and we saw this like great at the very beginning of the pandemic, like in, in that very first month in March when everything shut down, our team in Liberia were seeing the partners who we had supported in Liberia. They just resurrected all their things that they had done to, for disease prevention for Ebola. And I just, I thought it was so inspiring to see that one, that capacity was still there, mm-hmm. but how, um, you know, how, how just, just that they, they got it, you know, it was really exciting.
1: That's awesome. Well, the important thing we need to let listeners know is how can Americans and especially Catholics help Catholic Relief Services do this kind of work around the world?
2: So, um, I mean, the first thing is we would welcome financial support. Uh, Our website has opportunities to donate, crs.org, lots of great information about the different things around the world. I think these root causes also are, you know, they're all bigger than what any of us are going to be able to solve on our own. And so I always encourage people to pray with us for, you know, for delivery from some of these situations and for that our that our global leaders, presidents of countries, leaders will will do the right thing for their people uh, and, and will work together to solve problems. Rather than fighting amongst each other and with their own people, and uh, so the second thing is is prayer. Prayer for our staff. Uh, we've lost a, a number of staff in through the uh, coronavirus pandemic in different countries around the world. It's been really hard for many of us, and so uh, please pray pray for us and for for our partners, uh, Catholic partners, and others around the world. The third is. Our website also has a link to our advocacy opportunities. And as citizens, we can really make a difference in getting our government to step up and do better in terms of the kind of foreign aid and in the, the quantity of foreign aid to make a difference on these problems. And so we're We're working really hard to invite Catholics to advocate with their elected representatives and stand up and let them know that we're here and that we care about folks in other countries.
1: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. We have been talking today with Bill O'Keefe, Executive Vice President of Mission, Mobilization and Advocacy for Catholic Relief Services, the U.S. Bishops Overseas Aid Organization. We talked about migration, about COVID, about foreign aid, a lot of things there. So thank you so much for being with us today, Bill.
2: Thanks so much, Chris. That was really fun and and super interesting. And I I, uh, I very much appreciate the opportunity.
1: Great. Don't forget, you can get information at crs.org on the web. This is Christopher Gunty of The Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio.
0: The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow The Catholic Review on Facebook Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org.
1: Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app.